All right, guys, welcome back to Jiu-Jitsu Motivation. My name is Greg Melita, owner of Hamptons Jiu-Jitsu, Black Belt, Second Degree. And I'm Brian DeLuca, Black Belt and author of Jiu-Jitsu for Small People and other weird shit I think about. <laughs> Today we got an awesome guy on, Gary Tonin. <laughs> <laughs> Gary loves that title, by the way. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gary Tonin, welcome to the show, man. Uh, been a real big inspiration for me. We've uh, actually um, you know, known each other for a long time. Uh, had a couple of matches together at Brown Belt and uh, just, you know, has seen you come through the ranks and seeing your evolution of your game and, and the way you approach training, all of those things, uh, not only an inspiration to, to us at my academy, but the way that I like to uh, teach. So uh, really appreciate you coming on that. Yeah, man. Thanks so much. Appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely, dude. So what's going on, man? We got, we got a lot of uh, news and, you know, you know how social media is. You don't know what to believe. You know, you got uh, all these, you know, pages uh, making funny shit and, and saying different mm -hmm. things. So what, why don't we hear it from you? You guys going to Austin, is that right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I kept people in the dark. I just kept posting my, uh, my booty photos on my, my stories. I really, <laughs> uh, I don't think I really said much about what's been going on. I don't really intend to say too much. Um, you know, I, I think we just kind of all collectively decided that we're just going to, you know, amicably, uh, you know, do this thing and, and split and, and kind of just go our separate ways and have it not be like, a you know, some kind of crazy dramatic fucking thing, you know, where we're screaming at each other or throwing things each other's way or anything like that. So, uh, yeah, man, I mean, there's, there's not too much to say. It's just, you know, some, some differences in opinions and, and disagreements and things and, and, uh, you know, some people felt they needed to go a different direction and, and that's what they're doing. And, you know, I, I mean, it's, it's part of life. It's a sad thing, you know, to see, to see people that, you, you know, you spent a lot, a lot of time with and, uh, that you have good, you know, good relationships and stuff like that, uh, go a different direction and they're no longer a part of your day-to-day -day life. You know what I mean? I do care about all of those guys. Um, and you know, I knew them for many, many years. So, uh, it's, it's not like, uh, there's nothing, there's nothing, at least for me, maybe for other people, they feel differently, whether they comment on it or not. Uh, but at least for me, like I'm still pretty much friends with everybody, you know, it's all very, uh, it's just more of a, you know, choice for where they want to go in the, in their life moving forward, which, you know, it is what it is, man. Um, so for, as far as for me and what I'm doing, uh, yeah, I, I'm, we're going to be me, John and Gordon are going to be working on opening a school, uh, somewhere in Austin, I believe, I think in the meantime, we'll probably be housed at, at, uh, a different gym, just kind of doing our training and stuff. And then we're going to work on finding a commercial place to, to kind of open up. Uh, I believe, I think Gordon already announced that. I don't know. I don't keep up with any of it, to be honest. I don't really, I've been worried <laughs> about my own stuff. Uh, personally, I'm just worried about, you know, getting back in there and, and fighting and, uh, you know, and having a good result when it comes to that. So, um, you know, I, I'm excited in the sense that number one, uh, I'll be back in, uh, the United States, the continental United States where you can order food and it doesn't take three <laughs> and a half hours. Uh, and there, <laughs> there aren't all kinds of crazy hoops that you have to jump through to get things like a mattress, in your house, which is what I had to de deal with. That's a whole other story. So I'm excited about that. I'm also excited about uh, probably, you know, getting a some training in in a cage moving forward because I haven't had that out in Puerto Rico. There's a couple places that have them, but it's kind of smaller. So I haven't really got the cage training that I normally like. Uh, I know some people have different opinions about that. Some 
I know some guys that do MMA that don't even that never step into the cage until they actually fight, which I actually find insane. Personally, uh, I remember I was talking to Mighty Mouse and uh, he was like, yeah, we don't have a cage at our gym. And I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, yeah, no, we don't do any cage training. And I'm like, I'm like, how, like, what's, what do you mean? Like you fight in a cage, dude. Like you just never, you never thought it would be valuable for you to practice in the place you're actually going to fight. Like I just, that's mind boggling to me. I mean, obviously he's been very successful throughout his career. So far be it for me to say any, anything in dissension of that, but it's just, it's crazy. So for me, it's a big deal for me to, to have a cage again and be able to train and, and also just probably being in Texas, I'll probably be able to pull for more, uh, I'll probably be able to get more MMA training partners. You know, it was a little hard to get sparring partners when I was in Puerto Rico. You don't have to import everybody. I keep a pretty close-knit group to begin with, but it'll be nice to get some variety in, in training and stuff like that. So, you know, I'm looking forward to it. I hate fucking moving, to be honest. It's, <laughs> it's an awful process, and I've had to do it quite a bit um, with both my, gy- my personal gym that I own in New Jersey, which is called Gary Tone and Jiu-Jitsu now, as well as my own home multiple times uh and to different countries you know over the past uh you know a couple years so it's been an interesting uh been an interesting trip Uh, a lot of a lot of movement a lot of movement that's a that's an interesting point though i don't think a lot of people you know appreciate that being uh i mean two main decisions and you guys going that route that you know everybody's thinking obviously the move to to texas is you know, pretty obvious as far as like COVID and this is, you know, Texas and Florida being the most active jujitsu states, if you will. And you guys, you know, go to Texas a lot. That was a no brainer, but the MMA aspect for you and the cage aspect, I don't think a lot of people really understood that or even knew about that. Well, sure. I mean, in theory, we could have opened a school in Puerto Rico and and built a cage, right? It's not like we couldn't have done that Hmm. there, Um, but we ran into, we ran into similar troubles that we ran into in life. Uh, in trying to open a business in Puerto Rico also. Right. So, it, you know, ultimately just decided that that was, that was going to be a, uh, something that wasn't, uh, it was going to make more sense to open elsewhere, you know? So we thought we were going to, you know, it was going to be something that could be done in a, in a timely manner and, and all these things. And it didn't really work out that way. So um, I think we're going to have a little bit more success uh, out uh, West, if you will. Yeah, you guys definitely. please the name of the school? I don't know if they released it or not. I don't really okay. know if, it, if it's supposed to be a secret or not. So I'm not hmm. going to say anything because I do know. <laughs> well, what have, it's, I do you know. Get what a place to too. Still, you got to get a place yeah, still, yeah. right? It's still not even a place. But I know Gordon was talking about doing trademarking and stuff like that today. So hmm. the last thing I want to do is like say something I'm not supposed to. I, I'm pretty sure it should already be known, but who the hell knows? I don't know. I'm not going to. I'm not going to be the one that screws the pooch on this one though. So. There is a name, but I'm not saying it here. So yeah. Do some research. Please, look, look on. Play the Fifth Amendment. Play the Fifth Amendment. Yeah, <laughs> or, or check your Gordon's Instagram, and then you'll find it. Maybe <laughs> he's much more. He's much more vocal about things. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I shouldn't say that. I'm pretty vocal about certain things too. But <laughs> oh, you definitely are, man. Come on. So, so all right. So, quick question: Is this just going to be? Are you guys in Austin? Just jujitsu or jujitsu and MMA? Oh, in terms of teaching. Yeah. Uh, in terms of teaching, I would say that the school will probably primarily be jujitsu. Um, I mean, John does all the sessions with like, he's my only, he's my MMA coach. Like there's no boxing coach. There's no kickboxing coach. It's just me and me and John really. And a couple other training partners that work with us. Um, so I would imagine we probably continue to keep that kind of small. So like, mm-hmm. it, it depends on who shows up and who's interested. I don't think John will be planning on teaching like MMA classes. 
Right. You know what I mean? I think it'll have a lot more to do with like, hey, if we got some guys that come in that are around my size that have some fucking sparring experience or something and they want to and they want to join in the fun, fun and in, in quotes for sure. Uh, then, yeah, I guess <laughs> I <laughs> guess there'll like be some room, some room for people to get involved. I don't know if John is really interested in starting up a, an entire MMA program, though. It's really hard to say um, moving forward. Uh, you never really know. That guy is a uh, – he's an enigma for sure. I, I could never really pin him, pin him completely down. So maybe I'm dead wrong, and, and that's part of the plan. But so far as I know, it's going to be primarily jiu-jitsu. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, uh, so let's start with that. Let's go back into – you know, we're, we're talking about jiu-jitsu. I think my camera's fucking up here. Um, but we're talking about jiu-jitsu, and, I mean, really, your, your upbringing – I mean, when back when I – started him you know to uh to heavy into the competing and coming up through the ranks uh can you start like where you like how you started and your you know your journey to the dds if you will like you know as far as your training goes and competition sure sure so uh i started doing jiu-jitsu on the town of glass um he was in my town and it was very close to me it's very e- easy and accessible uh, a friend of mine told me that he had opened so I think uh, he was in one location for a little bit, and then uh, I missed him at that one, and eventually showed up at his his second, and I guess it would it was his final location because I'm pretty sure he basically just took that location and expanded and got bigger and bigger and took like more storefronts in that area. Um, but I basically was was under Tom, uh, t- you know, being taught by him directly for basically f- maybe like five six years, you know, something like that. And then I went to college. Um, well, sorry. I went to community college while I was with him too. So like basically 15 years old to like somewhere around like 20 ish, I was under Tom. And then, uh, uh, what was I going to say? When I went to college, I was kind of bouncing around everywhere. I was training. Um, and this is, that's how, you know, I kind of got my foray into training in New York and training under John, but um, I was training everywhere. I would train at Ricardo's some days, Ricardo Almeida's spot, and, and work with their guys. I would train with some other Henzo affiliates. I think they had one in Homedale at the time, and I think maybe it's somewhere else now, but Middletown maybe. But uh, they would have some practices on Fridays, so I would go there on Fridays. And then I think you know occasionally I would try to pop into the city and grab classes. I know that Frankie Edgar was – at the time was doing some classes with John on Monday mornings. I was kind of like pro training back in the day. Like everybody that was like a professional UFC fighter or, I mean, I don't even know if it was really jujitsu. I mean, it was a jujitsu class. Don't get me wrong, but like the guys, the big boys that showed up were guys that basically were professional fighters. So it was pretty much jujitsu geared for the purposes of these guys that were going to be having MMA fights. I would say, you know, like, uh, they were the primary focus in the room. You know, when John, John has a, a, a trickle down method of teaching and I agree with it, uh, especially when we're, when you're talking about trying to produce high level athletes and that is you're pretty much teaching to the best person in the room or the person that uh, the person of most uh, relevance. Hold on one second. Sorry. <laughs> so you're pretty much teaching to, to the person to the person that, that uh, has the most skill in the room or, or whatever the case may be, or the, I guess the project that you're working on or whatever the case may be, which would have been George at the time or Weidman uh, or Frankie uh, Edgar depends on, you know, who, who happened to be in the room that day. 
but I'm sure that the classes were geared towards those individuals. You know what I mean? The rest of us that were there, I mean, yeah, I was an avid jujitsu competitor and everything like that. But honestly, like at that stage of the game, like one of the things that people have to understand is like jujitsu competition really didn't mean a whole lot, to be honest. Like it really, (laughs) it really was like, it's kind of like a game. Like, I mean, it was amateur level competition. Nobody really got paid. I mean, ADCC existed like you, I mean, but even ADCC, let's say you're the absolute best in the world. No geek back then. Right. So we're talking like, fuck, like 2000, what? I don't know. Like I graduated college in 2013. So maybe the era I'm referring to right now is in like 2011 or something like that. So like, let's say like somewhere around 2011, like, okay, you're the best in the world. You win uh, absolute division in ADCC. All right. That happens once every two years. And you just won yourself forty thousand dollars. That's not a lot to live on no. for, for for two years, man. You know, even if you're just by yourself. So um, it's not even paying for your training for the two yeah, years. <laughs> yeah, like let's get realistic. Yeah. So anybody making money in jujitsu, they just had a school and they they had students. Like you either did that or you were just kind of like a vagrant like me who just you know I went to college and stuff and like I bounced around and like tried to make money where I could and, and spent it all on training and basically had no money in my bank account every month and and that's what you did you just you just basically spent all of your money on training and and uh, survived on scraps I was eating peanut butter sandwiches like for most of my meals and fast food and all these well not that I don't eat fast food today but uh, <laughs> all of these things to just kind of scrape by and survive so that I could continue to do my training and then at some point, I eventually, uh, you know, started working in a school. I was teaching and then, you know, owned a school and all these things. And that was the goal to try to make money. The idea of competing professionally to make money, it wasn't even on the table. So like that jujitsu class that we were doing on a Monday afternoon with all of these professional fighters in it, like even if there was somebody in there that was like one of the greatest scrapplers ever, like it didn't matter. Like the class is not going to be catered to you because it, it didn't even matter that much. Like we're talking about George St. Pierre, who's going to be fighting for a world title or, or uh, Frankie Edgar, who's going to be fighting for a world title or Chris Weidman, who's going to be fighting for a world title. It's like those things mean something, you know what I mean? So anyway, that was kind of the way that the room was catered. So I was just trying to survive in this room with monsters. And uh, I met John and I was introduced to him and I was learning from him, but I don't know if I understood the, I don't know if I really understood how the meaning of that yet. I don't really, I recognize that he was a good teacher. It was quite clear, you know, that he could communicate ideas better than most, uh, than most people, um, and had a little bit of a different idea about things, but you know, the philosophy and the types of things that John communicates to you over time, it's not learned in a day, you know what I mean? So, I mean, I was only going there maybe once a week, you know? So the, I don't know if I recognize that this, this person that I was in contact with had like a was going to have the dramatic impact on jujitsu that perhaps, you know, he did, you know what I mean? I, I didn't, or, or sorry, I should say dramatic impact on myself and jujitsu as he, as he was going to. Um, I just, I didn't know about all that yet. I really didn't know him that well. I hadn't spoken to him that often. I wasn't even a person in the, the class that he gave any attention to really. I mean, mm-hmm. it took to get a, a word from John in, in terms of a sentence that involved me, it probably was, you know, months before he even addressed me as like a human being. And then like, uh, I mean, years before, uh, or at least a year before, like we would have like real conversations together where I, where he was like, Hey Gary, like George is getting ready for Nick Diaz. And I think like, you're 
scrambly style is similar to Nick Diaz. So why don't you come up to Montreal and, and train with him? That was like the most serious conversation that I had. That was the first time I like had like a full conversation with John, you know, was, Hey, you're going to come up to Montreal and train with George. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I guess. <laughs> Great. So then I had that experience. I got a little closer to him, spoke to him a little bit more. Eventually met Eddie Cummings. Eddie Cummings was going to the more jujitsu geared classes that John was teaching because uh, the morning classes in the, in Henzo Gracie Academy is basically, I mean, th- that's only people that were interested in jujitsu. John was teaching just no geet in those classes at the time. So Eddie's like, Hey man, you should, he was getting ready for like an ADCC trials as I, I was at the time. You should, he's like, you should come to these classes. I didn't even know they existed. I didn't know John t- taught them. All I saw was a class that started at like 7.30 a.m. in New York City, and I live in New Jersey. And I was like, yeah, I'm never going to that class. That sounds awful. Yeah, uh, yeah why yeah, would I getting, ever go Getting there? up at 5.30 in the morning right. to <laughs> commute in. So, yeah. so but, what, but at that time, I had developed this relationship with John, and I started to understand, like, there's something special here. Like, I started to understand, like, oh, like, if I continue training under this person – like big, big, good things are going to happen. There's going to be dramatic changes in my jujitsu um, at that time. So I was like, oh, hell yeah, I'll drive two hours in traffic in the morning to get to New York to train under this guy at 730 in the morning while I can't even can barely function as a human being because it's worth it. It's worth every second. Um, and uh, that's kind of how it ended up working out, man. I just and then I was just there every day. And then I brought Gordon and then I brought Nikki and. And these guys got into it too, and they recognized the things, same things that I recognize, and the team started to build from there. You see, that's what I, I think a lot of people don't realize. Like you talked about, like owning a school, and that's even one thing that people don't even know. Like they think, oh yeah, you own a school, open up, and throw some mats down, and start teaching. They have no idea what it takes if you're a one man show to run a school. But I, I think in addition to that, like people don't realize that the classes that you were taking and started taking with John are way, way different than what people know of being classes for like general jujitsu people or, you know, hobbyists. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? I I don't, I don't think they realize like the difference, like (laughs) it is like a world of of difference. Cause I mean, I know coming up, Oh yeah. Not even the level, just the, like, like I was saying, the, the attention and what they're actually working on. I mean, you know, I, I remember coming up for years, the format was just warm up. All right, we're showing the technique of the day. You're not allowed to do any other technique other than what I show. And then it's basically just beat the shit out of each other for four or five rounds. And, and yep. that's it, <laughs> you know, like that's, that's what I, I did for, for years coming through the ranks. But I mean, seeing not only the whole leg lock game is what I think is, is like the big turn, but the method of teaching, I think people don't even get how much different that is. Can you go into that a little bit? Because obviously I think, you know, people have no idea what it takes to run a school, but then follow that up with what everybody, including myself knew of a jujitsu class was just, okay, get, do like a, a long drawn out warm up. There's a technique by the professor. And then just, it's, it's a tournament and there's no focus on bad positions or anything like that. Yeah. Um, so uh, sorry, you wanted me to elaborate a little bit on like what the difference is in the training room. Yeah. So like, I mean, people, people think like the, like, uh, you know, Donahue's class versus a normal hobbyist class. Like, sure. Yeah. So, um, something interesting happened with, with John's position. And and I talk about this a lot and we talk about this amongst ourselves a lot, uh, as a team. Um, and I just, you know, it's worth mentioning is 
John was in a very special position that most people that teach jujitsu are not in, in that his only responsibility was to teach. His primary source of income was teaching privates most of the day. So like, um, I don't know what he was getting for like teaching classes or whatever the case may be, but I don't think it was, it was pretty much what he was living off of. He was living off of, Hey, I'm going to teach a private. I'm going to teach every, every time I'm not teaching a class, I'm going to be teaching a private from 6am till, you know, I don't know when John leaves, God knows probably sleeps in the, in the <laughs> ceiling or something, but, uh, you know, till for, let's say 6am to 6pm or something like that. You know what I mean? If, during whatever that period of time is, I'm just going to crank out as many privates as I possibly can. And, uh, you know, then, uh, you know, I'll go home and, and, uh, that's how I'm going to make my money to survive. So his, his basic job was I'm going to teach these privates to people and I'm going to teach X, Y, Z classes to people. And that's how I am making my, I'm choosing to make my living and how I'm going to, that's those, those, those are the things that I am responsible for in life. Now, most people that, that teach jujitsu, that is not the case. A couple different things are different for most people. Most people have their own school, first of all, okay, which it, there's more to that than just teaching jujitsu. And this is something that you mentioned, like you're, you're a business owner now. You, there's a million fucking responsibilities that you have to, t- to tackle, whether it's paying bills, whether it's talking to some disgruntled student. Like John could literally, if you were a disgruntled student and you came to John, if John wanted to, he could just tell you to fuck off. Like it doesn't, it, it doesn't right. he's, not the, he's not the business owner. He's not, he's not making any money, whether or not, whether you're there or not, it makes no difference to him, whether you're there or not. Right. So that's a special spot to be in when you're just, when you're running a school, it's completely different. There's so much other things to do. And what often happens is, you know, you're going a bunch of different directions and you can't, you couldn't possibly put all of your energy into just teaching. It's just a very difficult thing to do. You have your responsibilities and energy and time are split in so many other places. And in addition to that, what do most people do? They make the mistake of getting married and having a family. And no, <laughs> they, they, they get married and they have a family, right? So, so now they have not only the responsibilities of running a business, but the responsibility of taking care of children or you know, respond, they have some level of responsibility to their wife or whatever the case may be in some, some life that they have on the outside. Again, something that John did not have, like, you know, John has family members and things like that, but he doesn't have kids. He doesn't have a wife, etc. So there's no, there's nothing like stopping John from when he gets home after doing his privates all day from sitting in front of a computer screen and analyzing tape from wrestling footage from the eighties uh, until he falls asleep. Like there's nobody's going to yell at him. There's nobody. <laughs> right, right. He can do literally whatever he wants every day of the week. Um, in regards to teaching, in regards to studying, in regards what whatever. Like basically, he gets to do whatever the hell he wants, and that creates a recipe for like if you are a incredibly driven and motivated person, and you have this objective that is to to be very a very very good coach or one of the best coaches ever, and you have the ambition of changing a sport or changing, you know, an athlete's career or whatever the case may be, you all of a sudden are, are much more in the driver's seat than when you, than if you were a person that had their responsibilities split so many different ways. Um, and I think that's a bit, uh, that is a piece of what, uh, allowed this kind of recipe for success to exist, you know? Um, so that's kind of, anyway, sorry, that was a prelude to the answer to your question. I apologize. <laughs> Cause I didn't really answer your question. Did I? So, 
what I'll say now is that um, even even now the training environment and the things that we do in training are different from when I first started training with John. Um, we've grown over the years. Like John kind of like he adds things in or subtracts them based off of uh, what he feels is necessary or what he feels is productive. Um, he often does little studies and things and surveys. He'll look across the room. All right, this is working. This is not, etc. When we first started, it was, first of all, there's never been a warm up ever. That never existed uh, for as far as John was concerned. Whereas in the typical jiu-jitsu school, it's kind of like a necessary thing. Like I have warm-ups at my school for my advanced intermediate classes. I don't think I do, but for basic class for sure. Because it's like something that kind of gets everybody together doing the same thing. It aligns everybody. It kind of keeps everybody focused and, and a little bit more disciplined. And like, you know, it's something that I think is kind of important, especially for somebody who's just starting, right? Uh, but yeah, none of that existed um, ever. Um, if you were to warm up, just you show up early enough to warm up. That's your warm up or your drilling is your warm up, whatever the case may be, you know, uh, kind of you're responsible for your own body is kind of the, right. is the gist of it. Right. Then, uh, you know, we would learn for however the hell long John decided we, we want, he wanted to teach. That's the other, that's the other aspect of this too. Like most people are working on a schedule. Like John had to teach a class at a particular time. I don't know if anybody forced him to end at any particular time sometimes class would take two hours sometimes class would take 30 minutes it probably depended mostly on john's mood that day uh <laughs> that, that would be my guess um based on uh based on the way that i've seen things over the years but uh but yeah so like i mean however much time or how many moves he wanted to show or how whatever he wanted to dedicate to that that day's training session he dedicated in the early days we did a couple stand-up techniques and then we did some ground techniques. Um, and then we would do our live training and uh, live training training wasn't audited in any way, shape or form. So you just did five rounds, I think of six minutes and that was the deal. And like, there were so many goddamn people on the mats in those Monday afternoon classes. Uh, and it was so sweaty that people, and, Oh, I think at the time Henzo's didn't have air conditioning. So <laughs> or it, it wasn't working very well. Let's put it that way. So it was my responsibility as well as four other people with towels to run across the mat with towels in between rounds in this coned off area where all the professionals were training to make sure that the mats were dry. Um, so that, that happened. Uh, and then, you know, things grew. And like I had mentioned, like the focus used to just be on these guys that were fighting, but as professional jujitsu grew and as um, that started to become a real thing and like all of us were, you know, trying to make a career and money and, and gaining notoriety and all these things from competing in professional jiu-jitsu, I think it made John go, oh, okay, there's something here. This is worth pursuing. This is worth making sure that, you know, these guys are the best in the world at this thing. You know, it's not just like a game anymore. Like this is becoming more, this is becoming something. It is growing. It is going to be something one day. These guys that are in this room are going to be something one day. So there started to be more attention to the jiu-jitsu in the room uh, it started to become a situation where uh, John was all John's afternoon classes, with the exception of Monday, were in the gi, and it became it's so, slowly we made it so that he would teach in the gi and teach no gi to us. <laughs> <laughs> so it became a situation where it's very clear, you know, he's he's giving us some level of special attention because 
you know, we're showing up and we're not even wearing the uniform that we're supposed to in class. Right. Um, so that happened. Uh, the positional training kind of started to come into play a little bit later. Um, I would say the, the first time we started to do more positional training was when, uh, the EBI stuff started to crank out, um, because we would have these, um, we would have these uh, things like armbar rounds and back rounds and stuff that became very prevalent in the EBI scene because, you know, if you went to overtime, you would have to be on somebody's back. Somebody would have to be on your back or potentially an armbar. So that was like the first introduction, I think, to, hey, we got to add some positional training in. Um, and as we started to experiment it with, with that, we started to realize, like, me personally, I feel like I take a high degree of responsibility in getting good at, like, all the positions, like even bad ones. Like I let people mount me in training and shit. I let people put me in bad spots, but the reality is, is most people don't do that. And it's not even really necessarily their fault all the time. It's like, it's just like a mentality thing. Some people are hyper competitive. For example, Eddie, Eddie's so hyper competitive. Uh, I don't know if he still is to this day, but I doubt he's changed. Um, he, there's no chance he's letting you mount him in training. That's not fucking happening. He would never let that happen. Eddie wouldn't let you have a fucking inch Okay. This is, are you kidding me? Mount? Absolutely not. So what we started to realize is that that was a valuable addition to the whole room starting in different positions because some people in the room were so hyper competitive that they would never be in those positions and never practice them. So when we got to regular competition, um, people weren't ready and they weren't ready for those bad positions and and bad things would result. So uh, we realized that that was important. And then kind of as we moved along, we started paying more attention to uh, the standing position. I would say over the past like year or two, we paid a lot more attention to that. And you've seen a lot of our athletes do a hell of a lot better in the standing position. We started basically making class half standing position, half ground. Um, and there's like a distinct cutoff between the two. Um, and John's been spending a lot more time um, in the standing position. So that's been added to our training. And we even for a period of time, we're adding wrestling scrimmage rounds in. And I think we still do when as like ADCC and events like that get closer. So, uh, man, it's the training room is so dynamic. It's changed a lot over the years and it really has had depended upon the needs of the group, but also kind of like, uh, the rule sets that we were competing in and, um, and also, you know, maybe if John saw some deficiencies and things. So I, Man, it's hard to pin down to tell you like what I think is exactly the recipe for success in terms of the training environment. I think that the, that the big key for us was innovating over time. I think that it, had we stayed the same from the beginning and stuck to whatever formula we had, we would it wouldn't have benefited us in the future. So, yeah, man, it's it's been a it's been a uh, a hell of a time, man. We've, we've gone through a lot. Well, I think one of the things that's important that you brought out is it's always evolving, right? It's always evolving based on the situation that's there, whether, like you said, it's a new rule set, whether it's, you know, different types of tournaments you're training for, whatever it is, just deficiencies. If it's not evolving, it's, it's going to become, you know, stagnant. So that becomes really important. Yeah. I mean, that's, and you brought it up and I I just brought it up on my, uh, on my phone here. I I use this a lot in my academy and this is a quote. I I think it's a direct quote from you and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it says in an average five round training session, I will get submitted 15 times. Take that information and ask yourself if you really have no ego. (laughs) Yeah. I remember pushing that. Yeah. Can you explain that a little bit? Because I say that to everybody. I'm like, you have to force yourself 
to, yeah. you know, in a full rolling, full resisting training environment, absolutely rolling, like get yourself in bad positions. Cause I did, like I said before, coming up through the ranks, it was just a tournament every day, just beating the crap out of each other to the point where maybe I didn't get my, you know, get mounted in two years. And then yeah. you get mounted and you feel like a freaking white belt and you can't yeah. escape. So can you go yeah. into that quote a little bit? Because that, that hit me, that hit me really good when I, yeah. so so I don't know if that average is perfect. I, I mean, maybe there's <laughs> probably some training sessions where I get submitted less than that. Uh, maybe some where I get submitted more. more. It really depends on who I train with. Um, but the the idea behind it is that I've been hearing this shit, and everybody's been hearing this shit since the, at least if they've been in jujitsu as long as I have. I mean, I've been doing this now about 15 years. We're getting we're getting close to 15 years. If you've been doing as long as I had or longer. You've heard somebody lecture you at some point in time about having an ego on the mats, okay? And half the time, that somebody that was lecturing you about having an ego on the mats often is the has the largest ego out of anybody <laughs> anybody in the room. And you know, I, I think that people get a little over obsessed with this the the word ego and um, the idea that you want to rid yourself of it. Um, I mean, I think that idea is silly, especially if you have any intention of being a competitor. All of us have some ego. And I'll tell you why I, I can prove that we all have some ego and will continue to have some ego. Because we train jujitsu. We wouldn't train jujitsu if we didn't have an ego because we wouldn't give a shit that people could beat us up. We wouldn't care. It wouldn't matter to you. It wouldn't matter to you that you could walk by somebody on the street and they could take your lunch money and you couldn't do anything about it because you have no ego. You don't care. Whatever. It doesn't make a difference. No big deal. But you did care. You wanted that power. Mm -hmm. You wanted that level of control. So you went into a jiu-jitsu academy and you said, you know what? Fuck this. I want to have some control over my goddamn destiny here. I want to learn some jiu-jitsu. I want to learn how to defend myself, right? And that's what people said. And then some crazier people than those people, after they got to the jiu-jitsu academy and after they started training, they went, you know what? Just being able to defend myself on the street, that's not enough for me. My ego is actually a little bigger than that. I actually want to make sure that I could beat everyone up in this room. Like, I want to make sure that there's not a single person in this room that can submit. Okay. And then you got a few people that went a little crazier than that. And they went, you know what? Not only do I want to be able to beat up everybody in this room, I don't want there to be a single person in this world in my weight class that can touch me. And so I'm going to compete in world championships and I'm going to win. Right. And that's, it, the the farther you take this sport, the bigger the ego you have. I mean, it's impossible to argue against that. I mean, maybe somebody would try, but they'd be wrong, in my opinion. And maybe that's my big ego talk. But nonetheless, <laughs> nonetheless, I think it's very true. Um, so now, what do we do with that information, right? As competitors, knowing that we have these large egos, right? Um, and it's an inevitable thing because we want to compete. We want to do better. We want to beat other people, right? What do we do with that? Well, we have to keep it in check is I think the more important uh, part of this process, right? In order to keep that ego in check or quote unquote, and I hate, I kind of hate using this word to keeping yourself humble per se, because I think humble and humility are often misused and misconstrued as these amazing things to possess. I don't actually think that they're that amazing anymore. Um, but nonetheless, um, if you, if you were to go out about that process, you would essentially force yourself into situations where you wouldn't do quite so well, or you have less of a chance or you have less control, 
right? So I have less control and less of a chance to beat you when you start mounted on top of me. I have less control and less of a chance to beat you when you start in a fully locked arm bar with my hands locked, right? And as you go throughout this process, it keeps you in check a little bit more because guess what? I don't care how good you are. You start with people, you know, in a fully locked arm bar, like you're going to get submitted at least at the beginning of the process, Mm. you know, but if you're you're training with really good people, like they're going to submit you, you know, but when you start from scratch and you just start every round facing each other in the standing position or on the knees or whatever the case may be, I mean, hell, you guys have probably watched enough jujitsu competition to know if you want to, you can kind of just avoid doing jujitsu all together and kind of scramble around the room and just pull out of everything. And (laughs) and you can not get submitted, right? Like if you care that much about getting submitted, you can probably prevent it. Like you're going to probably look like a retard, like running away from everything, running running circles, running circles around. you, You can do it. You know, once you're submission aware enough, you could basically just stay out of danger the whole role. And like, you could pat yourself up on the back at the end. Like, Oh yeah, I didn't get submitted. But like the question to ask yourself is not, did I get submitted, but did I get better? Am I a better, and I know this is a little cliche also, but like, am I better than the person that I was yesterday? And as cliche as that may seem, it's a real question that you have to ask yourself. And if you're training and the answer to that question is not yes, more often than not, like there's probably something wrong, right? Um, so that's kind of what, what, what drove the uh, maybe cuntiness behind that uh that quote that you had there that that's I was the quote bit, at work <laughs> i was a little bit ostentatious in my <laughs> delivery by saying by saying like take that and you know see if you have no ego because because i i considered myself you know to be pretty damn good at this jujitsu thing um and if i'm getting submitted that often and i'm a, you know arguably sometimes i'm allowing it and sometimes i'm not but uh if i if that's happening for me and you're out there and you consider yourself not on the same level as me and you're not getting submitted every day, well, then there's probably something wrong with your training. You're either not challenging yourself by putting yourself with good enough training partners or you're not putting yourself in bad enough positions. I remember a story that was told to me about, and who knows how real it is. I have no clue. You never know. You hear all these kinds of things with these, these crazy athletes. It was a story about Hydra Gracie. And the story was, is that I think there was a world where Hodger like submitted everybody with like cross collar chokes, so like 12 out of 12 matches, like was submission, submission or something. And that for that world, he was in England and he only had a, the best person he had to train with was like a purple belt. And I think he got to train with Braulio like once every other week or something. And that was all he had in preparation for that world. And he went out there and fucking submitted everybody. So the argument and the story, the moral that was supposed to be to that story I don't know how real the story is. Obviously, I wasn't there. Um, but the moral to that story is supposedly, hey, man, if you dedicate yourself to this enough and you're smart enough about how you're training, even when you're training with shittier people, you can still get the work done. You can still mm-hmm. figure out how to challenge yourself well enough. You can handicap yourself. You can do all these things that makes training still challenging enough that when you go out there, you succeed, right? I think the thing you're pointing at, right, is if you have a goal every day, you need to work towards whatever that goal is, right? You know, no matter what it is to get better, to be the best in the world, you got to just work at growing and getting a little bit better at that goal every single day, every single day. Yeah. But the thing is, is we get caught up in the other stuff, right? That's the, that's the the struggle is, is like, that's everybody's fucking goal, right? Like, Mm -hmm. let's be real. Like, for the most part, if you're doing this, like you want to get better. Like that's what we all are thinking in our head. 
but we we get our we get in our own way sometimes because there's other things that are important to us too and we let those things whether it be consciously or unconsciously supersede that idea of growth and we go yeah i want to grow yeah i want to get better but shit this guy's about to break my arm and i'm not going to let him you know, I don't want to give it. I don't want to take the chance on trying to do a late escape because then he might tap me. Instead, I'm going to lock my hands as tight as I possibly can. I'm going to wait it out for the rest of the two minutes of this round. It's like, right. did you get better? Like, did that make you better by making that decision? Exactly. Yeah, and that's it. That brings up the whole thing you're talking about with with evolution. And this is the I want to bring up this last topic before we get to the review my role. But I mean, for me specifically. Uh, you know, we weren't even allowed to learn anything but the basic um, straight ankle lock until we were brown belts because that's when it was legal in IBJJF, right? Same, so same for me. Always, same for yeah. me, by the way. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I was in the same boat because I didn't even get to Danaher uh, until brown belt, I don't think. So, and even when I did for a little while, I wasn't, the leg locks wasn't even on the menu. Yeah, exactly. So and that's, and then coming through and then, you know, uh, getting black belt, opening up my academy. And, you know, becoming really good friends with Rich Byrne and in walks Rich Byrne with Eddie Cummings. And <laughs> and I mean, you know, Eddie would spend weeks with us every year because he would be yeah. out, out in the Hamptons. And I, when I tell you that, you know, we come from a very old school uh, upbringing and it was just on, man, because like, you know, Eddie comes in and like you mentioned, <laughs> he is he is like just goes balls to the wall. But. <laughs> the effect of like you're talking about old school guys that only go a hundred percent and yes. here comes Eddie and then everybody is thinking that oh man you know watch your legs which granted yeah. he got you with legs but yeah most of the shit he got you it wasn't with legs yeah. because you're watch, thinking watch legs. everything buddy it was yeah <laughs> so I mean us us old school guys I mean multiple yeah. multiple black belts in there just I mean. Yeah. Tap multiple times, but I think sure. not only the fact that you know it was with the legs that we knew nothing about, specifically you know all the ashis, all the entanglements, all the heel hook yeah. stuff, but just the system systematized way of you guys at the Donahue Squad, how everything connected together was just unbelievable to see in a <laughs> in an environment at my academy when it was like like challenge matches going on. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I yeah, but that's 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 kind of. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because I don't think people realize coming up the way that I mean, you and I did, and it was very yeah. like very no n no idea, nothing systematized at all about the legs. Yeah, frowned upon. Yeah. So, um, all right. First thing, funny story about Eddie that's, uh, <laughs> that, that that attests to what you were talking about, and and I think you'll I think this will resonate with you. So we all go, me, Gordon, Eddie, and uh, I think one of his other, he had like a friend or student of his or something at the time. So we all go to his Dean Lister seminar. Okay. And uh, John, you know, we tell John about it. He's like, hey, like Dean Lister is going to show up in Ohio. You know, uh, we're, we figure that's pretty close. We're going to go out there, just see what's up, you know, uh, see if he has any interesting ideas to add or anything like that. Right. Prior to that, like, I don't really think I really studied Dean that much. I, I had seen videos. I knew he was a very dominant force in grappling, like obviously, especially with leg locks and stuff. So it made sense. I'm like, you know, that we're doing this whole leg lock project. Let's see, you know, what this guy has to offer. You know, um, it, it ended up being really fucking weird. First of all, uh, <laughs> the not well, yeah, obviously, because it's Dean. But I mean, I enjoy that personality personally. But uh <laughs> 
<laughs> but it, it was weird in the sense that the people that hired him to teach the seminar hired him to teach mainly gi legal leg locks. So like the seminar was not on really on what we were looking to learn about at all. And we didn't know that until we got there. Like we found out like when we got there, like, Hey, this is going to be in the gi. Eddie had to tie a belt for the first time in like a few years. And like, he couldn't figure out how to tie his belt. It was fucking hilarious. But anyway, so Eddie after afterwards, I think like it was either after the seminar or maybe we did some training session with him. Like the next day, Eddie's training with this guy. And, uh, afterwards the guy like trains with me or maybe he's talking to me or something and he goes he goes hey uh what's the name of that that uh armbar specialist that you guys uh that you guys are working with and i'm like what do you mean Who, who's a, what armbar specialist and he points at eddie and i was like oh i was like oh yeah uh well i wouldn't necessarily call him an armbar specialist but uh but yeah his name's eddie cummings whatever and and he actually asked me this was really funny i fucked with the guy so he goes <laughs> He goes, he goes, you know, what's his background? Like, did he do like any other martial arts or whatever? It's like, yeah, I think he did like Chilean Sambo for like five years. I just like made up like a random martial art. But, uh, but it just goes to show you like, so, so Eddie, like, I don't even think the guy knew who Eddie was at the time. I don't think Eddie had had any, at that point in time, had had any professional matches uh, where people wouldn't know his name yet. So uh, he probably didn't know who Eddie was. But so he didn't even know to be afraid of leg locks. But dude, if you offer up your upper body to Eddie and you keep your lower body away, he will absolutely break your arms. Like it's just <laughs> he's good, dude. Like he's good and very well rounded in many different areas. So anyway, I just found it ironic that somebody that we all look at, and I mean you've had experience with Eddie as a leg lock expert. We all look like at as an leg lock expert with somebody who literally didn't know who he was, thought he was an armbar expert because he got armbar so many fucking times in training by Eddie, you know. <laughs> So anyway, I just wanted to to put yeah. that story in there to, to that's, that's to what that's, you were talking about. That's like spot on. I mean, that's uh, <laughs> it's exactly uh, yeah. That's that was you know similar to my experience, but it was it was going back to that was, I mean, just the to me, and this may be a stretch. You tell me what you think, but to me, the systematized way of how everything was done with the legs that you guys do. Um, specifically, you know, heel hooks and entries and all that. I feel like if people don't even at least experience that and, and yeah. at least learn the basics of it, it's similar to a karate guy fighting Hoist Gracie in 1993. <laughs> because those guys, yeah. you know, didn't even really know oh, an arm bar and people were thinking we were crazy to teach chokes and arm bars to kids in jujitsu. And yeah. now, now the same people that were teaching, you know, uh, arm bars and chokes to kids in the nineties and, you know, pioneering and the Gracie's and all that, they're the same people that saying these leg locks are so dangerous. And I'm like, yeah. listen, it's, it's not that way. And I just think people are just way off when it comes to the opinions of leg locks. Yeah. Well, I, th I, think, um, I think it's like anything in rule sets too, right? People are going to try to keep a rule set to what they feel is going to be good for them versus, yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah, having, having a broader, they yeah, they're yeah. trying to justify it. Yeah. Sure. I definitely think that's gotten a little bit more smoothed over throughout the years. Like, mm -hmm. uh, but it was, there was, there was heavy, heavy resistance, like for a long time, basically like not even just suggesting that like leg locks were like, bullshit but like that like everything we were doing was bullshit like that i mean for, for real like there was like just i remember one time getting into like an uh like an argument with salo hibero i think online and he like tried to pretend he didn't even know who john was 
And uh, I'm pretty sure like John, I, I don't know. I don't want to get too into the drama of it all. But I like he he like he was like, oh, yeah, like, well, who's this guy? Whatever. He's never competed. They were it was an argument about jumping guard. And mm. I think John had said something like it's dangerous. And Salo tried. He's like, oh, well, you never competed, whatever. But he like pretended like he didn't even know who John was. I, mm. I think I think he pretended, let's say. That okay. that argument's valid though. So car jumping is way more dangerous than a heel hook, in my it's opinion. Fucking insane! It's very dangerous, and it's the fact that it's taught in like basic classes around the world in certain places is fucking crazy to me. I've literally walked in. I'm not going to say where because I don't want to call people out, but I literally walked in on classes of like total basic, brand new students just jumping on each other's hips, like. We're, dude, I get new students that have little to no muscle control, that like I've never done sports before. And you got these retards trying to jump on each other. Like at any point in time, they miss and they fall on somebody's knee. Like we're talking catastrophic injury. But anyway, aside from the point, the point that I was trying to make there is, is that like people wouldn't just talk shit about leg locks. They would just talk shit. Like you're, ta- you're talking about the systems approach and everything like that. They talk shit about the systems approach. I know, I think to this day, Robert Drysdale gets into conversations with Gordon and like, and I've like, seen those. It, or no, sorry. It's not even conversations with Gordon. I think he doesn't even address him anymore. I think he just like, uh, he'll basically like passively aggressively attacks what we're doing. And he'd be like, yeah, system is just a word. And like, it's really no different than anything else that's been, it's like, okay, man, like, is it not obvious and clear? Like if you look at jujitsu since we've had an impact on it and you look at jujitsu prior to that, there's clear differences, man. Clear. Like Absolutely how often, clear. how often do you even, do you even remember seeing somebody do a fucking back triangle prior to us starting to do like for real though? Like, I mean, don't get me yeah. wrong. Like I don't do them that often in competition. It's not like a huge thing for me, but once we, we kind of came out with like, Hey man, like when you're on the back, like you can trap an arm and like, here's the back triangle and all this stuff. Like, dude, all of a sudden everybody in the fucking jiu-jitsu world is doing it. And you're gonna deny the impact that we had. Like it's just so crazy. Oh yeah. Now everybody with the back and you know, the arm traps, ev- ev- trying to do body triangles. And why were people not doing body triangles? Because they weren't given points for that in the traditional yes, yes. That was crazy. That's still crazy to this day that they don't give points for a fucking body triangle in IBGGF. That's I would love to sit down with somebody and have them explain to me why the fuck the case that that would ever be it does, like yeah here's this more controlling position uh than this other position we're just not going to give you any any score for it fuck yourself yeah. i mean sub, <laughs> sub only, I think sub only opened up a lot of people's eyes because even in your game your game is insanely scramble based and it's amazing but when people do wind up passing or mounting it's like i don't give a shit because the points aren't going to matter in that you know situation i even go so far as to say as like if in a point tournament you get a mount on somebody but then that guy gets back to half guard or guard you don't deserve those four points yeah yeah uh yeah i mean i think it's it's kind of exposed the underdeveloped nature of a lot of people's jujitsu in that um i was kind of explaining to you before like if you want to and and we've all seen this happen in matches before you can basically just avoid doing jujitsu for whatever period of time you want to so kind of like what you would see a lot of the good guys doing is in these bigger tournaments, worlds or like an ADCC or whatever, avoiding at all costs being in a situation where any points could be scored and then like kind of trying to like win in the last little bit of the match, right? So like the only amount of time that we're doing any amount of work is like when points are on or, you know, when I absolutely feel like I have something or whatever the case may be. 
And then once I do have something, I'm going to start stalling again and try to make sure that nothing else can happen. And like, while that can happen in a sub only match and you do see it sometimes, especially now that we have sub only environments where there is not just a decision, but there is a overtime period. Right. So we have the, that EBI format. It's one of the downsides to the EBI format is, is well, you could hope that you're going to beat somebody in overtime. Right. So, I mean, you could basically run away from somebody for 10 minutes or 15 minutes, however long it is, and then wait it out and then hope that you're going to win in this overtime scenario. Now, I mean, you better be good, pretty good at escaping the back or armbar position, though, if you're planning on doing that. But nonetheless, um, you know, you, you can kind of game the system, and that's what people kind of did for years. And I definitely think I would agree with you that, in general, sub only started to, started, started to chip away at that type of strategy. Um, and and the, the other thing I'll say chipped away at that type of strategy, and this I think is even more important, is the professional nature – of the jujitsu revolution, as opposed to the amateur nature of competition prior to that, where people weren't getting paid. So in the professional world of sports, okay, there's more than just the element of winning in amateur competition. All that matters is winning. Winning is the only thing that matters. It does not matter how exciting you are because guess what? You're not fucking getting paid. No, like, so it doesn't matter. Nobody, right. nobody cares. You could be as boring as you want to. You could win by advantage and, and have the sloppiest, shittiest jujitsu anybody's ever seen. And it does not matter. It really doesn't. All that matters is who has the gold medal around their neck, right? Like ultimately. But when it comes to professional jujitsu, it doesn't work like that. Because if you're boring as shit, you're not going to get hired for shows or people are not going to pay you as much money. So that's another thing that was a big kick in the nuts to kind of the stally, fucking not do anything type of jujitsu where there was a bunch of holes where in, in their jujitsu, um, that was a big kick in the nuts to that because now you're finding that, oh, wait, if I'm like a stalling piece of shit, nobody wants to see me grapple. Nobody wants to pay me money to get out there on a stage and do this thing that I like to do, right? So that's another piece of the puzzle that I think changed things is not just the rule set because mm-hmm. you could make an amateur competition sub only and, and you'd probably get a lot more, a lot more stalling action and stuff like that. But the professional nature of things where it's like, oh, shit, people are watching, people paid to watch. More people will pay to watch if this if this match actually is exciting and means something. Um, it'll add to my highlight reel or whatever the case may be and, and all of these things. It'll help me build my brand by having an exciting match and this, that, and the other thing. So the professional nature of the sport, I think, has has done a lot for the sport also in terms of making it a bit more exciting and, and uh, uh, presentable, you know? Yeah, nobody wants to see anybody pull out of Ashi for 10 minutes. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I also think it changed the landscape of, of how athletes can make money. Right. So they can make money during tournaments. Right. Because they are exciting. People want to pay for it. They can make money, you know, doing online teaching. Do you know what I mean? Or, or classes, you know, and it, it opened it up when you have more exciting yeah. athletes. You want you want other things from them. Not, you know, yeah. just flat. That's a piece of it, too. That's a piece of it, too. And I think even that is affected by how entertaining you might be as you're out there. Like, you know, when there's guys, and again, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna intentionally try not to throw names out there, but there's guys that have beaten me in competition, or um, you know, just do very well in competition in general, right? But just have really fucking boring jujitsu that nobody, nobody really wants to learn what you're doing, dude. Like nobody cares. Like, no, right. like they, they just don't. Like there's nothing because there's nothing to it really. It's like imagine you came out with a video 
about how to just dance around somebody for 10 minutes. You know what I mean? And then like hope that you touch their ankle when they pull guard or something like it would be the craziest thing. Nobody would pay for that. You know? <laughs> right, Nobody's right. The whole technique is when they jump guard, touch their ankle, push them down. Yeah. yeah it's, it's cra- I think, I think Craig Jones even did like a little spoof video on that one. Oh, something. that's one of my I favorites. Think, yeah. So that's the, that's the deal, man. You know, so it's, it's changed mm-hmm. everything in very good ways. And naturally, because there's been great change, there's been great resistance to change, like you were mentioning before. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of there's a lot of still pushback. Is. There's still a lot of pushback currently. Yeah. To this I understand. Day. I get it. You know, I definitely get it. But it, it, the thing is now is it, it's there's so much momentum. It's like impossible to stop. So anybody that's trying to push back, like you're just going to get run over by the boulder. So. Yeah. So in, on that aspect, where do you think it's where do you think it's going, man? Professional sub only all the way or what? Uh yeah, so far that's what it seems like. The tough part about the 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 gigi, uh I know you didn't really necessarily ask this, but you know, it's it's kind of headed in the direction of, you know, sub only style, you know, there's obviously variations in the rules and then uh it's without the gi, right? And uh I think the big issue with the gi is not that it can't be exciting, but literally just by having the gi there you already made it so that there's a chance and it's a pretty big chance that the action is going to get slowed down at some point right so like what do people find exciting at the bare minimum like let's say you know nothing about jujitsu right you knew zero you don't know the rules you don't even fucking understand submissions whatever you wouldn't be excited by anything else but movement that's what you would be excited about. You'd you'd be you'd see change in position, or or some sort of movement, and you'd be like, "Oh yeah, wow, something's happening, right? Something's happening." I shouldn't just say movement because like two guys could circle around each other, and that's technically movement. But I guess I should say change in position, change in in something, and that's what people they would be like, "Oh, okay, there's something happening here, right?" Even to somebody who literally knows nothing. Mm-hmm. In in gi jujitsu. While it is possible, still possible to change position, there's a lot of really cool things that you can do. Unfortunately, by the very nature of the fact that I can hold on to your clothing, everything just slowed down a little bit for the most part. Yep. You know, unless you got two guys that are basically just going to not ever touch the geek, which would be kind of silly because why wouldn't you? Right. Well, it's so funny you mentioned that because you talk to a lot of gee based competitors or gi based athletes and all of a sudden they do no gi and those are oh, such a difference the speed game the speed game right it is exactly yeah. to your point it's non-stop moving there's no stalling there's no grips like that you know in terms of grabbing the gi and holding it in place you know so it's much yeah. it's, so that's, yeah, why I mean, I, that's yeah. why i think we struggle to to create a professional environment for gi jiu-jitsu it is happening a little bit there are some tournaments do i think it's going to completely die no uh, gi jiu-jitsu will still be there, especially because of amateur co- level competition and especially because of the general um, traditional aspect of it. But it's it's it is it'll it'll continue to be buried by no gi jiu-jitsu. And I don't I don't think it's ever going to be on the same level. I just I just don't think so. You know, judo is a little different because there's explosive activity happening all the time and they have a rule set that makes it so that action has to be happening all the time. So judo is still viewed as somewhat as an exciting sport. And, you know, it's still kind of, it's something that's a big thing. Um, but jujitsu, it's different. Like there's no, there's not a lot of jujitsu doesn't do a really great job of stopping stalling with rules. Mm -hmm. Don't really good, good job. And I'm not even necessarily saying that 
that would be a great thing if they did try to do that. I don't, who knows? You know, I, I remember a tournament that Gordon did um, with those guys. What the hell? It was Quintet, maybe. Mm. And they went so far as to do, they, they went so far as to give stalling calls, even if somebody was mounting somebody, right? So, so you're on top and you're mounting somebody, but because you're not doing anything yet, you're getting stalling calls. And, you know, Gordon's like, oh, this is ridiculous. And I was like, well, Gordon, you know, interestingly enough, I actually think they have something here in terms of in terms of entertainment. Right. Like when you're sitting there in the mount. Yeah. You you know, you're slowly like maybe trying to incrementally work your position or whatever the case may be. But the average person that watches in the audience that doesn't really know fully what's happening here, they just see you two staying in the same position. Like, think about it this way. When in the UFC. okay. Somebody will get on someone's back, the worst position you could be in jiu-jitsu, ready to try to strangle somebody, and the crowd fucking boos, <laughs> okay? The crowd boos because they, they just don't get it. They just see one dude holding on to another dude, and that's it, and it's, it becomes boring. Even though, even though, it's, even though that to essentially climbing on somebody's back, at least if you're proficient at strangling somebody, that's kind of like you just threw a punch that wobbled somebody. Right. Like mm -hmm. you're that close to potentially ending this fight. Um, but it just doesn't matter to the audience. So in terms of the professional world, like if we had a, a rule set where you're penalized, you know, for staying in the same position for too long, even if it was a dominant one. I mean, that'd be pretty scary to most jujitsu competitors, too. I mean, the idea that, oh, man, I did all this work to get to mount. And now I'm going to get penalized because I'm not I'm not moving and I'm not doing anything from right. now. Right. So I don't know. I don't even know if that would be a good thing if we had more aggressive stalling calls. It's hard for me to say, but it's I, all I know is that it doesn't exist. You know, it's not something that we really do in our sport. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think, you know, gi jiu-jitsu is definitely not going to be as, you know, popular uh, as no gi or grappling. I mean, I even myself, I when I train with the gi on, I pretend I'm doing no gi. I have a much better experience rolling. I'm, I'm quicker. I'm in that position quicker. I'm not depending on collar sleeve all the time. And then, Hey, if there's a, I'm on somebody's back and the collar opens up, boom, I'll grab it, but I'm not going to yeah. depend on it. And my fingers love me for doing, you know, doing that <laughs> method. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. but actually, we have uh, Brian. Do we have that video? Yeah, we 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 do. We have a video. Yeah, so, Gary, we have this video, um, and this was a really big point for me in competition because I, we're going to review this. I want to have you review this role, kind of get your opinions on right, uh, on, on this match. But this for me was a really great experience because when I rolled against somebody that that moves like this, uh, it really opened my game up and opened my eyes up. So let's take a look. Yeah. Okay. You guys can see my screen. I can. Nothing's happening yet, but I okay. see the screen. All right. So this is uh this is Gary Tonin at Brown Belt. <laughs> All right. This is Gary Tonin at Brown Belt versus myself at Brown Belt. <laughs> and uh we, we met up in an open weight at, at uh, a Long Island Pride tournament. And you came okay. down you came down from lightweight, I think, and I came up from feather. There was nobody in the divisions or something, and it was just uh, a absolute match so but yeah, yeah. The, the guy i'm fighting is just an absolute scramble beast but um <laughs> i think the guy in your corner is uh almeida in this it, it, oh, might, is it? it might be i can't really see the corners yeah that i think it'll it'll pan over there in a little bit but yeah, i mean did, i just did, did he I have did, hair then did almeida have hair <laughs> I, I, I I, oh there he is wearing a hat yeah, yeah i see i think i see him i think you're right I think oh I, I do a jumping guillotine right and i am just latching on 
on and I am like, oh man, I, I just got to hold on oh, to this. So I and have, I, go ahead. Yeah, no, I mean, and I, I literally spend all my energy on this guillotine. Go ahead. <laughs> well, I was going to say at the time I was just a half guard guy. So one of the things I would do is if anybody Kimura guillotine me, I would always try to look to find a way to get to their back from that position. So let's see if that's what I try to do. Kind of, I rocked back and forth and we just kind of worked our way out. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I definitely like submission defense was a really big deal for me. So, and being in half guard, I got pe- people would just guillotine me a shit ton from there. So I got pretty comfortable dealing with uh, the submission threat. It looked like a pretty good guillotine to me. I mean, it's yeah. uh, it's hard to see. It's a little far away, but I mean, is that is that that was part of your? I mean, I never fought somebody up until that point that I mean, just you know, let's let you latch on, not let you, but I get you know submissions on, and I'm just spending all the energy, and you just get out, and you're conserving energy, and if, as time goes on, the guy gets getting submissions on you just tires out. Yeah, now you do. You do a little head tap. You're doing some wrestling there, man. Oh yeah. yeah. My wrestling was a little more rudimentary back then, so I kind of like had to just like poke people in the head, and then I had like an arm drag. I had there this thing go. where I would kind of poke you in the head, and then I'd reach for. Uh, I'd use that to distract you, and then I'd reach for the inside hamstring to get like a high crotch. Uh-huh, and that was yeah. like one of my. I was like one of my only moves back then. Yeah. And it was. I wasn't as good. I had a little wrestling like experience, but. Was this was this pre John or was this? Um... Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Wow, a little double there. Yeah, um, but uh, but sweet. yeah, this is probably if 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 I was training with John at all, like I said, it would have been like maybe tops once a week at that Monday afternoon class, more than likely because at a at the brown belt level, yeah, I wasn't really exposed to him all that much. Yeah. I mean, and once again, this is 2011 Brown Belt. Now, if this was because this is a traditional IBJJF style tournament, if this was nowadays, there would be heel hooks legal, you know? Yeah. 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 But I mean, even so, you would pretty much still say. I probably didn't even know how to do one at this point. Yeah. So I think (laughs) people, I think people really need to know that. Like, we didn't even, I didn't even start getting into the heel game until after Black Belt, but you didn't even get started into that until well into Brown Belt. Well, yeah. actually, look in the corner too. There's a guy with a gi. There's gis going back and forth too. So this is a yes, gi no yes. gi tournament at the point. Yes. Yeah. So even top position half guard, you preferred during this time. Yeah, half guard was big for me. It was just like a big part of my game. Top, bottom, whatever the case may be. I mean, that was kind of my whole game back then. So I had my own little system, right? You know, I hadn't been exposed to John yet, but my idea was, hey, man, like the back seems to be the best way to submit somebody. So I'm going to spend all my oh, time. Nice. See, there it is right there. I tried to find a way. That was to the Baron Bolo era. Yeah. I think you had fought Gianni in the same tournament in the Gi in, uh, before we did this open weight match. But yeah, that was like the whole Baron Bolo scene coming so on. I, would, I, would, I wouldn't use, I would always use like cross body ride to try to do my rolls to the back, which was what I think I tried to do from that half guard situation. Yep. I'm going to try to probably going to try to do it here off the legs. I used to do it off a stack pass. So I guess not. Um, yeah, no, a little bit, but that was kind of my thing is like, Hey, what ways can I, what ways can I expose the back? So that's what I thought about the whole match. And the best ways that I figured out to do that in my career at that point in time were yeah. pretty much through half guard variations. Nice. And like, if I know well, this is, uh, this is one of my favorite transitions. You got to check this out. Watch. It's kind of like a Mona Plata going for Oma Plata. And then I roll through, come out, you shoot right in. Nice transition, right? But, that, but that's what I mean. That was exciting. Yeah. There's a lot of movement. Yeah, it's a great match. 
you know, like that's, I think people want to see that way more than, you know, slow movement. Like you said, you know, sure. And you know, what's funny is my coaches would always criticize me for not just like, like getting positions and keeping them. Yeah. Like, Gary, why did you have to win fucking 12 to 10? Like instead (laughs) of fucking just winning by fucking your first sweep. And I'm like, I don't know, man. Like I, I wasn't done. Like I (laughs) I wanted to keep grappling, man. Like I don't want to just hang out. You obviously, even before John, now your you whole you your whole game was scrambling. When did you yeah, start getting into that? I you know it's it's like you it, like we were kind of talking about with the gi no gi. Like yeah. uh, I quickly found out that my mentality was better suited to no gi, and probably partly partly for that reason, I excelled in situations where I could generate movement. Oh, check this out! Check this out! Watch this! I oh, tried oh. to do that. Do that now! Watch! I bridge out and. I try to attempt an arm bar. I mean, this is what I love, transition. Yeah, damn. You tried that transition. Oh, you missed his head. Yeah. You missed his head. That's oh, what happened. Slappy arm bar attempt. Yeah. Man. Hey, go go back to that for a second, Brian. That was like, yeah. the, you know, the side control Americana, right? Side right control here. Pila. Yeah, it's trying yeah, to hit my legs American. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So over yeah, right here. there. Oh, that was on, man. So look, look, and he's cranking your elbow. You see what he's doing? Yeah. Like, look oh, at yeah. I was going to have that for sure. And then he just bridged out. Yeah. Then now it's, I'm like, all right, well, I just got to get my head out. Yeah, then, sure. the, then the arm was exposed for uh, sure. But yeah, the legs never made it uh, across the face. I think. Yeah. And I, I, your style, man, is like, hey, give the arm, and then there's the hitchhiker, right? I mean, yeah. shit. Back back then, I'll, I'm going to tell you this for real. I actually I felt so strongly about my ability to defend arm bars, and I told John this too. I thought that arm bars were fake. Mm-hmm. Like I <laughs> I actually genuinely didn't believe that like arm bars were really like a real move. Like in my <laughs> eyes, I was like, if you get caught in an arm bar. Like you just suck at armbar defense was the way that I looked at it. And now, now I definitely disagree with that. Like I train with guys that can absolutely submit me with armbars, but, Hmm. but like, yeah, that's just how I felt. I felt so strongly that like I could find a way to get out of pretty much any arm. That's awesome, man. Well, I, I just wanted to, I thought that was really cool to bring up because yeah, that was man. like, that opened my, my mind up to like the whole, just like the idea of scrambling and just, you know, giving, giving certain positions to get other positions, mm-hmm. you know, up until that point, yeah. it was just, you know, just go hard and tournament style every time. And you're just trying to like gut it out. But the tactics of, you know, not only your game, but that whole, just keeping momentum like, going, you know, like take, yeah. that, take that, that legs American lock uh, that, that I went for as an example, right? There nothing. There's nothing that made me go for that. Like I didn't have to do that. I could have just mm. stayed in side control. Like I'm assuming up until that point, I was winning by points already. I, I think I could mm. be wrong, but it, it looked like it based on the exchanges. I guarantee you, after that match, Ricardo was pissed that I fucking went for a submission from there instead of just maintaining the position. And that's the way that we thought back then. You know, mm-hmm. that's a, it's kind of like man, like all right, you're up by four points or two points or whatever the case may be, just maintain your position, just stay inside control. Yeah. And like, that was it. And like, dude, it just wasn't enough for me. Like I was like, no dude, like we're like, isn't the point to submit the guy? Like, let's do that. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I just want, like, I, I don't know. It, it, my brain never really shuts off. It's so hard for me to just be like, Oh, we're just going to stop here. Right. Right. Well, I mean, it's interesting you bring that up because that's the point of jujitsu, right? Is yeah. to submit the person, not to you know stall and win by points. It's yeah. to beat your opponent. 
I got I Tom Ricardo everybody for forever would criticize me. I think like the first time Tom ever criti- or ever said like good job. Like he said like a genuine good job without like a high level of criticism. I was I had won like brown belt like Pan Ams or Worlds and I think I like submitted everybody and like didn't get a point scored on me or something. And he's like, "Yeah, you competed well today." And that was like the first time I ever got him to be like to like to, to give me that kind of positivity every other time it was like gary like you won but you're a fucking idiot like you won but like you could have like won so much easier if you didn't do this 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 and this and and let this person score and like do this and i got criticized for that shit for my whole career so i mean hey if you're out there and you're competing and that's how he, and that's <laughs> and people are telling you you suck even though you're you might be winning and by submission or whatever there's there's hope for you yet my friends <laughs> <laughs> awesome man but yeah I, I really appreciate you coming on where where can everybody find you online uh, obviously gary tonin on instagram right that's your main your main so my uh, name uh, my name uh has two r's in it as most people can't figure out <laughs> and uh my last name is t-o-n-o-n in case you're wondering how to spell that uh most people struggle with one or both of those things um but yeah i'm on most social media um I don't really screw with TikTok that much, but I am on there. But other than that, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You don't got a uh, you don't have an OnlyFans like Craig. <laughs> I do That's not right. have an OnlyFans yet, and I mean, apparently, <laughs> you know, apparently it's getting shut down. So we're gonna, yeah. gonna have to, if I'm going to do it, I got to move to a, another uh, another platform. So I was thinking of starting BJ Fanatics instead of BJJ Fanatics. But <laughs> there you go. Um, no, um, it's a whole so, other industry. Whole other industry. <laughs> so. So, uh, yeah, man, I, I mean, other than that, I do a podcast called Flesh Wound Podcast uh, with uh, my buddy Chris Algeri, who's a professional boxer. He just fought recently in one uh, and uh, one of my sponsors from Chimera Coffee, uh, Frankie. And uh, so we do that. We don't do it probably as often as you guys do because we're degenerates. So we probably only put out one episode every two weeks or something. Who knows? Uh, probably even less than that these days, but, um, yeah, we do that. Uh, I got a company called cash chicks championships. It's my apparel company. Uh, I've been partnering up re- recently with skilled violence. So they've been selling some of my stuff. So if you want to see some of my stuff, you could head over there. I'm also repping, like I said, skilled violence. So any of their stuff is, is good. You know, um, what else? Uh, I started working with a company called MMA coin. Um, it's like a cryptocurrency, yep, uh, I've heard of started, which is cool. So, I'm excited to get involved in that. They want to do some NFT stuff with me too. So, you know, I've, I've got no, I have some of my own little crypto investments and uh, you know, I know it's, you know, developing all these different cryptocurrencies is kind of like a big thing today. So, you know, hell, you know, getting involved with one that's, that's martial arts based is really cool. I know that they've given back some of the money to uh, children's charities and stuff too. So that's great. Um, what else we got going on? Anything I'm trying to think. Yeah. Anybody um, interested in the uh, MMA coin, by the way, shout out there. That's on the uh, rocket bunny ecosystem. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Um, I think they told me they're available on pancake swap and 100 yep. X altcoin or something like that. Um, hmm. Oh, uh, my own school. I have a jujitsu school and, uh, an affiliation in New Jersey, uh, I have three schools in the affiliate. Sorry, uh, four schools, in- schools including my own in the affiliation. Um, that's Gary Tonin Jiu Jitsu is the home base. Uh, I, pr- I probably get there like once a month to teach, but uh, my buddy uh, Chris Sidebanow is one of my brown belts. Um, teaches full time there. He's amazing. He's very very good. Basically, anytime he's ever competed, he gets a highlight reel finish. Then ends up getting injured for six months and 
and we don't we don't get to see from him. So he's got a little knee injury right now, but he's great. He's a really great teacher. Um, uh, Harbor Jiu-Jitsu down in I want to say Egg Harbor Township. I could be wrong. There, it's a little confusing down there. There's like there's like Egg Harbor Township, Little Egg Harbor Township. So I don't know exactly which one it is, but Harbor Jiu-Jitsu is the name of the school. Uh, Al Bruce um, runs that school. Um, he's been really great uh, with me for throughout the years. Um, we got another school out in, um, I think it's, I want to say it's Middlesex, not the county, but the actual city. Hmm. Um, and that's called All In Jiu Jitsu. Uh, I got two friends running that school, Damian Anderson, who's my teammate, and um, Andrew, uh, who run that school. Uh, and, uh, you know, they've been, they've been running for a couple, few years now, I think, maybe two they moved to a bigger spot so they've been doing pretty good i've been really excited i taught a seminar there the last time i was in town um so yeah all in jiu-jitsu if you're around middlesex um my school by the way sorry i failed to mention uh is located in north brunswick new jersey and then uh my last affiliate is immortals jiu-jitsu and i want to say it's in it's up north for sure i'm trying to remember i never remember the city that it's in um Ah, it's slipping my mind. But anyway, Immortals Jiu-Jitsu, if you're living in North Jersey, uh, that's my other affiliate. I'm Mike Rockshon and Sean uh, Yardimako uh, run that school, and uh, they've been doing really well as well. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's we'd love to have you back on, man. We're going to be doing a lot of different roundtable stuff, and you brought up, brought up all of your affiliations and, and academies. That's one of the, I think, next big topics that we want to go through because not a lot of people talk about it, not only just running an academy, but affiliations and how they should be not, not all operated. Everything's different. Every location is different, but generally how jujitsu is going to grow via, you know, affiliations and academies. Cause there's a lot of academies out there. They want to have affiliations, they, but they want it. They want all their affiliations to run the business exactly how they do. And it's got to be a cookie cutter thing. And then there's yeah. other affiliations where, they let the business run how they want to. And I think that's the way that it should be, you know? So, sure. yeah. um, and you're definitely going to have to come back on when you guys uh, open up your school in, in Austin, man. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm excited about that. That's going to be, going to be big stuff, man. Yeah. We're going to be keeping an eye on that. And, um, you're fighting in MMA coming up too, or hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. So it should be before the end of the year, you know, hopefully we're seeing a, a title, uh, you know, a, a title fight with, between me and Martin, uh, or sorry, I almost said Martin Nguyen. That was the old old uh, title holder. Um, between me and Don Lee, hopefully before the end of the year. Can't make any guarantees. No contracts are signed. So if it doesn't happen, it's probably not my fault. Uh, <laughs> probably something else is going on. We've been both waiting for each other with little injuries here and there. So uh, I'm thinking that we're going to make it happen by the end of the year, though. I'm super excited for that. It's a really big opportunity for me. Awesome. Yeah, Gary, stick around for a minute after we uh, log off here. But guys, make sure you like, subscribe, share. Make sure you keep sending us your rolling videos. Remember, here at Jiu-Jitsu Motivation, we have the ReviewMyRoll.com. You guys can submit your roles to us. We will have a black belt review them, send it back. We'll even have certain guys that have been on our shows be able to review your roles. So keep getting right on our website. Make sure you guys sign up for the newsletter and keep sending us those videos, guys. All right. We'll see you next time.